Our first reading this evening is from Genesis chapter 28, from verse 10. It's on page 24 of the Church Bibles. So from verse 10. Jacob left Bathsheba and went toward Haran. He reached a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. He took one of the stones from the place, put it there at his head, and lay down in that place. And he dreamed... A stairway was set on the ground with its top reaching heaven, and God's angels were going up and down on it. Yahweh was standing there beside him, saying, I am Yahweh, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your offspring the land that you are now sleeping on. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out toward the west, the east, the north, and the south. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Look, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, What an awesome place this is. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that was near his head and set it up as a marker. He poured oil on top of it and named the place Bethel, though previously the city was named Luz. Then Jacob made a vow. If God will be with me and watch over me on this journey, if he provides me with food to eat and clothing to wear, and if I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God." This stone that I have set up as a marker will be God's house, and I will give to you a tenth of all that you give me. Second readings from John chapter 1, verses 43 through to 51, and it's on page 977. The next day, he decided to leave for Galilee. Jesus found Philip and told him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. Come and see, Philip answered. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, Here is a true Israelite. No deceit is in him. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Before Philip called you, When you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Rabbi, Nathanael replied, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. Jesus responded to him, do you believe only because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, I assure you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Megan. Thanks, Tyson. Uh, if you just joined us, we're in Genesis. We're going to cover eight chapters of Genesis tonight. Are you ready for that? Uh, so turn back to Genesis 28. As you do, uh, the second reading about Nathaniel, we named our second son Nathaniel. It means a uh, gift of God. Uh, and you know when Nathaniel says, uh, you are the son of God, that's our prayer for our Nathaniel, that he'd always call Jesus his Lord and his God. I want to begin tonight by a story. It's a true story. Uh, word of warning, it's a moving story. 
this is, a, this is the words of a guy called Peter. He says, I remember when they told me I had AIDS. I had two kinds of cancer and eight months to live. And I felt a cosmic sense of loneliness. I'd never felt so abandoned in all my life. Yes, there were people there with me, holding me, comforting me. But I realized in the depth of my heart that no one else could go through this for me. The most loving, caring person in the world could not have my bone marrow biopsies for me. The most loving, caring person in the world could not have my spinal taps or my chemotherapy for me. And the most compassionate person in my life could not do the dying for me. But just as I felt most sorry for myself, I was reminded the most compassionate, loving person in my life already did that dying for me. Because Jesus faced death at an early age, and he died for me. And that wasn't the end of the story. God raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus is alive. He is my Emmanuel. He is God with me. And I got it. In the darkest moments of night, Jesus would always be there with me. In the depths of my pain, Jesus would always be there with me. In moments of torment and agony, Jesus would be there with me. And in rare moments of delight and laughter, Jesus was there as well because he is my God. He is my Emmanuel. He is God with me. And soon I get to see him face to face like a friend. Soon I'd be going home. And you know, I wasn't scared anymore. I wasn't afraid anymore. In a strange way, I just wanted to go home. I found that testimony incredibly moving. A man who has such a real, intimate relationship with Jesus that he can say, in the depth of despair, in the depth of agony and pain, that Jesus is alongside there with him. As he faces imminent death, he's not scared. He knows where he's heading, and he wants to see Jesus face to face. And I'm going to ask you tonight, right up front, could you say that? In the darkest moments of life, when all your friends walk away from you, you know that Jesus will never leave you. You could be in the absolute agony and torment, and you know that Jesus is right alongside you. You experience his comfort and his peace. And if someone said to you tomorrow, you've got eight months left to live, you could say, I know I'm going. I'm going to see Jesus face to face. I'm going home. Because those three truths about God, that, that God is with us, and God watches over us, and God will carry us home. They're the truths of Jacob. That's the Jacob story. It's Pete's story, it's Jacob's story, I hope it's your story. If you leave here tonight with nothing else, please leave here with this truth in your ears. It's on the screen. Let's just leave it this words, the whole sermon. God will carry his children home. He'll be with us and he will watch over us every step of the way. 
Let's look at Genesis 28. Just to recap, uh, Jacob is kind of like a, a walking, talking example of God's grace, isn't he? Jacob has been described as cold, calculating, callous, ambitious, self-seeking, self-serving, horrible, heartless, that bag who is loved by God and marked by grace. And when we last met him, his brother wanted to kill him. His father hated him. His mother sent him off for 20 years to live with Uncle Laban to find a wife. And we take up the story in verse 10. Uh, Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. He reached a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. He took one of the stones from the place, put it there at his head and lay down in that place. And so Jacob, for the first time, is all alone. No friends, no family, nothing but his staff. Now what do you do in those moments? When you have nobody around you and you are scared, what do you do? I call out to God. Jacob didn't. This heartless rat bag, he didn't even bother to call out to God, but God called out to him. God reached down to Jacob and God saw Jacob and God spoke to Jacob in a dream because God can do that. Verse 12, and Jacob dreamed and way before Led Zeppelin, he sees a stairway to heaven. A stairway set on the ground with its top reaching towards heaven and God's angels are going up and down on that stairway. Let's stop there. What what do stairs do? Imagine that you're building a house. You've you've got three stories in your house. You've got a ground floor. You've got a first floor. You've got a second floor. But you don't bother to build any stairs. What's the problem in your house? You can have the most beautiful, perfectly decorated second floor, but you can never get there. Without stairs, you have no access. That's the point of this dream. Without a stairway to heaven, Jacob can never get there. And he needs God to build that stairway. Uh, So God's angels are there going up and down that stairway. But who else is there? Look at verse 13. God himself, Yahweh, was standing there right beside that rat back called, called Jacob. I find that extraordinary. Cold, calculating, callous, heartless, self-seeking, self-serving, horrible little git. And God is there right alongside him. And God speaks words of promise in verse 13. He repeats the covenant, I am Yahweh, the God of your father Abraham, the God of your father Jacob. And I will give you, Jacob, and your offspring, the land. And I'll give you, verse 14, people, numerous people. And I'll give you, verse 14, blessings through you and your offspring. But what else does God promise? This this is a promise to hang on to. This applies to you and to me. Look at the promise in verse 15. Underline it. Memorize it. God says to a self-serving, self-seeking, rat bad like Jacob, Look, I am with you. I will watch over you wherever you go. And I'll bring you back to this land. For I won't leave you until I've done what I have promised. That's the promise for you and for me. God says to Jacob, I am with you. God says to Jacob, do not be afraid, Jacob. You are never alone. You may feel alone, but you're not alone because I'm with you. I'll walk alongside you like a shadow. 
And that should shock us, you know, that the sanctified, sinless, holy God will always be with this scheming, selfish sinner. That's the promise for you and I, isn't it? What's the second promise in verse 15? I'll be with you and I will watch over you. Uh, God says, I've got eyes for you. Every breath you take, every move you make, I'll be watching you. But, but not, like, not like, you know, there's, there's security cameras where, you know, you walk to those stores and they've got those security cameras and you, and you just feel guilty. You feel as though you're being spied on. Well, when God says he's watching over you, he's not spying on you, trying to catch you out. He's saying, I'm carrying you, I'm protecting you, I'm guarding you, I, I'm going to provide for you. That's the angel and descend, angels ascending and descending, the angels of God that miraculously guard us and care for us. As the psalmist says, that the Lord watches over you. He, he's your shade at your right hand. So God is with us. God watches over us. And the third promise to Jacob is there in verse 15. I will bring you home. I'll bring you back to this land. Now, now why does Jacob need to hear that? Jacob is about to spend 20 years of his life in a beautiful country. He's going to be prosperous. He's going to have wives and kids and sheep and goats and cattle and treasures and possessions. And it would be tempting for Jacob to say, this is as good as it gets. What a beautiful land I live in. And Jacob needs to be reminded his whole life that he's not home. The promised land is home. One day he's got to go home. And you and I need to be reminded of that, don't we? Because this is not home, is it? Sydney is a beautiful place. Beaches, harbour, sunshine, family, friends, wealth, possession. But you're not home. Heaven is your home. And God will carry you home. How does Jacob respond? Look down to verse 20. Jacob makes this arrogant vow. Listen to it. If God will be with me, if God will watch over me on this journey, and if God provides me with food to eat and clothing to wear, and if I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. Do you, do you hear the arrogance? If God proves himself, then I'll let God be my God. God will be his God whether he likes it or not. God doesn't need to prove himself to anybody. But we're like that, aren't we? I mean, if God does this for me, then I'll believe. And if God does that, then I'll love him. We're going to trace those three themes of God with him, God watching over him, and God bringing him home for the next eight chapters. Before we do that, let me get the biblical theology right. Uh, do you remember uh, when Jesus met Nathaniel? We had that reading read. Uh, what's the last thing that Jesus said to Nathaniel? John chapter 1, verse 51, I assure you, Nathaniel, you'll see heaven open and angels ascending and descending on, not on a stairway, but on the Son of Man. And, and Jesus is saying, I am the stairway. I am the way to heaven. I am your access point to God. Come to Jesus, come to the stairway, and you can get to heaven. That's the first thing. So Jesus is the stairway. Uh, the second thing is that, is that Jesus says, I I'll always be with you. I'll never leave you. 
I'll never forsake you. I'll be, be with you to the very end of the age. The presence of Jesus by his spirit. So he gets you to God. He's with you on the journey. And do you remember when Jesus is about to leave his disciples? He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'll come back and take you. And literally, I'll, I'll carry you home. That's the promise of Jesus. He's the access point to God. He's with you on the journey, and he'll carry you home. Well, let's trace this theme through the life of Jacob. Turn over to chapter 30. Uh, the Lord has prospered Jacob. He has herds, wives, loads of kids. Uh, chapter 30, verse 25. After Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me on my way so that I can return home. I want to go home. It's been 20 years. I want to go home. Give me my wives and my kids. I've worked for you and let me go. You know how hard I've worked for you. And and Labour says, no, I won't let you go. Please stay. So how on earth is God going to bring his son home? Let's follow this story. uh, Chapter 31. Jacob heard what Laban's sons were saying, his cousins were saying. Jacob has stolen. He's taken all that was our father's and he's built this wealth from what belonged to our father. And Jacob saw from Laban's face that his attitude towards him was not the same. So everyone's against Jacob. But God isn't. Verse 3. God says, go back to the land of your fathers and to your family and I will be, there it is, the promise again, I'll be with you. Down to verse 5. The God of my father has been with me, says Jacob. Down to verse 7. God has not let him harm me. Down to verse 9. God has taken away your father's hers and given them to me. uh, Jacob is saying God's been with me. God hasn't let me be harmed. God has protected me. God has provided for me. My God is with me and watching over me. And it's a bizarre example of how God watches over Jacob at the end of chapter 31. Let me just read a bit of it. Uh, 31 verse 31, to give you the context. Uh, Rachel has stolen, she's stolen an idol and Jacob doesn't know about it. And now he's face to face with Laban who's come to find his stolen goods. Uh, Jacob answered verse 31, I was afraid. I thought you would take your daughters from me by force. And if you find your stolen gods in, with anyone here, he won't live. Before our relatives point out anything that is yours and take it. But Jacob didn't know that his wife Rachel had stolen the idols. So Laban went, went into Jacob's tent and then Leah's tent and then the tents of the two female slaves. He found nothing. And then he left Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. And you're thinking he's about to find the idol. Now, Rachel had taken Laban's household idols. She put them in her saddlebag of the camel, and she sat on them. And so the scene is there, Laban, Rachel's sitting on the, the saddlebag, and Laban is searching the whole tent, and he finds nothing. And you'd think he'd say, come on, stand up. What's in your bag? How does God watch over them? Verse 35. Sir, don't be angry. I can't stand up in your presence. I'm having my period. So Laban searched and couldn't find the household gods. I I love that. 
God watching over his children in the most bizarre circumstances, saying, I'm going to protect you, I'm going to guide you, I'm going to guard you, I will take you home. Flick over to chapter 32. Jacob's about to go home. Jacob went on his way, and God's angels met him. When he saw them, Jacob said, this is God's camp. So he called the place Mahanaim. Now, what's the problem with Jacob about to go home? Who's he about to face when he goes home? Can you tell me? Esau. Uh, What was their relationship like last time he saw his brother Esau? How would you describe it? Tense? (laughs) Understatement. Esau wanted to kill him. Jacob has stolen Esau's birthright. He's stolen his blessing. Esau hated his brother Jacob. And it was a right, just hatred. He'd done the wrong thing. So Jacob's plan is to send messengers in verse 6. Send messengers ahead to tell Esau, your brother's about to come home. Look at verse 6. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau. He's coming to meet you, and he has 400 men with him. He's still angry. He still hates you. He wants revenge. He's got an army with him. Jacob, verse 7, is greatly afraid and distressed, and he's got a plan to divide his people into two camps, so if one gets attacked, he's got one left. And then for the first time in his life, Jacob does what he should always do, which is get on his knees and pray to God. Jacob prays in verse 9. God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac. The Lord who said to me, go back to your land and to your family and I will cause you to prosper. He says, God, you've been so kind to me. You've blessed me in ways I didn't deserve. Wives, children, cattle, wealth, prosperity. You watched over me. Verse 10, I don't deserve that. I am unworthy. It's, It's the prayer of a sinner, isn't it? I'm messed up. I'm the deceiver. I'm wretched. I'm unworthy of all this kindness and faithfulness you've shown me. I crossed over this Jordan with just a staff. I was all alone, and now you've you've blessed me abundantly. But now, God, I need your help. I'm about to face the wrath of my brother. So please save me. Please rescue me from the wrath of my brother. I'm afraid of him. It's a prayer we should all pray, isn't it? God, you've blessed me in ways I didn't deserve. I'm unworthy of all your kindness, God, and I'm about to meet you face to face, and I deserve your wrath. Please save me. Uh, Jacob still hasn't got it. He's got his plan B, which is to try and buy forgiveness. You see that down in verses 13 to 15. He sends this gift of 200 female goats and 20 male goats and 200 ewes and 20 rams and 30 milk camels with their young and 40 cows and 100 bulls. It's a pretty good gift. Why does he do that? Flick over to verse 20. He thought, I want to appease Esau with the gift that's going ahead of me. After that, I can face him. Perhaps he will forgive me. Isn't Jacob like us, thinking that we can appease anger and appease wrath just by buying somebody off, buy them a nice gift, and perhaps they forget about it? So verse 22, during the night, Jacob got up, and he sends his wives, 
He sends his kids into the promised land. He sends them home, but Jacob isn't home yet. Before Jacob can come home, he needs to do business with God. And that's what verse, chapter uh, 32, verses 24 to 32 is all about. Jacob meeting God and wrestling with God. Look at verse 27. Uh, God says to Jacob, what's your name? And again, if you, if you know your Bible, the last time that anybody asked Jacob, what is your name? It was Isaac. And at that point in time, Jacob deceived his dad and says, oh, I'm, I'm Esau. I'm your brother. Give me the blessing. But this time he faces up to God and says, I am Jacob. I'm the deceiver. I'm the one who has done all the wrong things in life. That's me. Hand up, confess. And you expect God to say, away from me. But God says in his kindness, your name will not be Jacob, the deceiver. I'm going to rename you Israel. God strives, that means. A new name. And so after he's met with God and after he's wrestled with God, he's got a new name. What else has he got? Verse 25. God struck Jacob's hip socket as they wrestled and dislocated his hip. Uh, Down to verse 31. The sun shone on him as they passed by, limping because of his hip. And that's why to this day the Israelites don't eat the thigh muscle that's at the hip socket because God struck Jacob's hip socket at the thigh muscle. So he's got a new name and he's got a dodgy hip. Why does God give Jacob a dodgy hip? I think there's two reasons. Firstly, Jacob has spent his whole life running away from God. If you're a runner here tonight, you know you cannot run with a dodgy, dislocated hip. And I think God is saying to Jacob, stop running. It is time for you, Jacob, to stop running away. I've got you. I've changed you. You're mine. You cannot run away from me. I think the other reason is that he's got to cross the River Jordan. And you can't swim with a dodgy hip either. And it's almost like God is saying to Jacob, don't think that you can enter the promised land in your own strength. You're weak. You're disabled. I'm going to carry you home. You can't do it by yourself. Isn't that a lesson for both of us? You can't run away from God and you can't get home in your own strength. God's got to carry you home. So so Jacob's met with God, but he's still yet to meet with Esau. Chapter 33, Jacob looked up and he saw Esau coming with 400 men. Let me ask you, what does Jacob deserve from Esau? What does Jacob deserve from his brother? You tell me. Wrath, condemnation, retaliation, revenge, payback time. I think if I was the wronged brother Esau, I'd say, Who do you think you are? Do you think you can just waltz back into the land after 20 years of deception and say, oh, I'm really sorry? No, 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 a wrong has been done. Justice says that that wrath is deserved. It's payback time, revenge, condemnation. 
That's what you expect. Get lost, Jacob. Die in hell. What do you get from Esau? Look down to verse 4. Esau ran to meet him, hugged him, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And then they wept. Does that ring any bells to you? Where else do you get someone running to greet a wayward son with arms wide open? The story of the prodigal son? And I reckon Jesus was referring to Jacob and Esau when he told that story. I'll ask you the same question. What, what, what do you deserve from your God? When you meet him face to face, what do you deserve from him? Condemnation? Revenge? Hatred? Payback time, pay your debts. What do you get from your God because of the Lord Jesus Christ? And the arms wide open, the loving Father who's been waiting for you to come home, come home, come home. Are you making the links in this story of Jacob? Because I'm Jacob and you're Jacob. Cold, callous, calculating, self-seeking, self-serving, but loved by a very gracious God who's with us, who watches over us and will carry us home. When Jacob meets Esau, our final verse for tonight is in verse 10 of chapter 33. Uh, Jacob said, please, if I've found favor with you, take this gift from my hand. I've, indeed, I've seen your face. It's like seeing God's face because it's a face of forgiveness, full forgiveness, free forgiveness. You've accepted me. Please take my present that, has, that, that, that was brought to you because God has been gracious to me and I have everything I need. It's beautiful, isn't it? Once you've seen God face to face, that's all you need. Gracious, free forgiveness. God will carry us home. He'll be with us. He'll watch over us. Can I urge you to, to memorize bits of scripture that teach that truth? Because there'll be moments in your walk with Jesus where you feel that he's left you. He hasn't. Memorize Psalm 73. The psalmist says, yet I'm always with you. You hold me by your right hand, you guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will take me home to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Uh, Memorize Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hills, where does my help come from? My help comes from, from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. The Lord is your shade, your shadow. I memorize Psalm 23, the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Even when I go through the valley of the shadow of death, you are, what's the word? You are with me. Your staff and your rod, they comfort me. Memorize scriptures. What does it mean there for Jesus to be with us? It sounds a bit trite, doesn't it? It means this, that if you've called Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, the, the moment that you did that, who took up residence inside of you? 
the Spirit of God. The Spirit who will be your comforter, your guide, your strength. The Spirit who gives you this peace which passes all understanding. Uh, this, the Spirit of God that will, that will guide and strengthen you in ways that you never imagined. Listen to Martin Luther King. Heard of him, I guess. He said, I was so afraid for myself, my wife, and my kids. And then I discovered that God had to become more real to me. So I bowed down over that cup of coffee, and I'll never forget it. I said, Lord, I'm down here trying to do what I think is right. I think the cause we represent is right, but Lord, I'm so afraid. I must confess I'm weak, I'm faltering, I'm losing my courage. And it seemed at that moment I could hear an inner voice saying to me, Martin Luther King, stand up for righteousness, stand up for justice, and stand up for truth, because I am with you, even to the end of the world. I heard the voice of Jesus say, fight on. I will never leave you. You're never alone. I will never forsake you. And time and again throughout his ministry, Martin Luther King returned to that experience to strengthen him, no matter what he faced. Remember the, the poem, Footprints in the Sand? I love it. Yes, it's cheesy, but it's true. You know, the two sets of footprints, but when the person looks back on their life and sees the most difficult times in their life, there's only one set of footprints. He's saying, where were you, God? And the poem says, at those times I was carrying you. I carried you in my arms. That's why there's only one set of footprints. You've got to believe. Friends, you must believe that Jesus is always with you. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He walks alongside you. He's your shadow. He's your shade. You've got to believe that Jesus watches over you. And then there's angels ascending and descending the stairway. We've got Jesus watching over us. He provides. He guards. He sees our groaning. He hears our pain. Those who are too young to remember police, remember the song, Just Can't Take My Eyes Off You. That's Jesus. He sees you. Not, not that sort of scary big brother watching you. He's that hand of protection. I can go to the deepest, darkest places and I know that his hand is upon me. But the truth that I think that we just don't get is that Jesus will carry us home. You can't get there by yourself. Please don't be arrogant to think that you can make it without him. And I think we don't get it because we like Sydney too much and we like this world too much. I mean, don't you hear those stories of the people in Vietnam? And don't you hear those stories of Andrew and Stephanie in Tanzania? And you think, like, this is a different world here. You know, we've got peace, we've got prosperity. We've got beautiful houses, we've got sunshine, we've got harbours, we've got beaches, and we go, wow, a bit of heaven on earth. Please don't think this is home. What's going to give you that longing for home? About to quote another song, Michael Bublé's Home. But the line I love is this. 
You get another summer day has come and gone away in Paris and Rome. Let me go home. The line of love is this. Let me go home. I'm just too far from where you are. And I want to go home. Because home is about relationships, about people. And the reason we want to go home to heaven should be because you want to be with Jesus. You want to be with your Savior. You want to see God's face. You want to have those arms around you saying, welcome home, and I love you. And we should feel like that. Because Paris, Rome, New York, or Sydney are wonderful, but they're nothing compared to home. So my prayer for you this week is that Jacob's story of a wretched sinner whose God is with him and watches over him and brings him home will be your story. That you'll be humble enough to say, I'm not worthy. Please save me. Uh, That you'll be secure enough to say, my God is always there with me, no matter what happens in life. And that you'll be longing for heaven. Longing for home.